Hello, everybody. And uh, we're glad you're here with us today. As we continue in our study we're doing on the New Testament, we're going through it verse by verse, a chapter at a time. We've just started. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. Or if you'd like, uh, you can, I put it in the bulletin for you so you can follow along with a nice space to write notes. And I did want to tell you something else, too. Uh, and uh, for any of you at the venues or, or uh, even if you're watching on the Internet, you'll notice on the back of the prayer request form, there's a new little form that says questions. And I am willing to try to answer any questions that you have uh, in the, the area that we're basically reading. So within a few chapters. So if you had questions from last week, Matthew chapter 1, you can put them in there. If questions pop up this week, if you're reading ahead a little bit, you have some things you want me to cover when we get there, um, just submit it here where it says questions, and uh, um, I will do my very best to answer them for you um, when they come in, okay? So that's a new feature of this process because you'll know if you're coming every week what's coming up next, okay? Like I told you, we'll stick with this and see how it goes. If it works, we'll keep doing it, and if we find that it's... You know, all of a sudden there's only three people showing up. <laughs> we'll, we'll change and go back. But I, I think we can make this a very interesting process. And it'll only take five years to get through the New Testament. And then 15 years after that to get through the Old Testament. So that's 20 years. Let's, let's shoot for that. And then, uh, like I said, I was praying that I get to do it again. So <laughs> Some of you should pray like that as well. 40 years of Wednesdays. That's a good thing. We'd know a lot by the end of 40 years. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, never mind. <laughs> um, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read that. You can follow along as I do. <clears throat> After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people, when he had called together all the people, chiefs, people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt 
I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was uh, said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warmed in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. All right, blessed be the word of God. That is Matthew chapter 2. Now, um, most of us know big chunks of Matthew chapter 2 because uh, of the Christmas story. And we, we sort of have, uh, it's sort of the background text of what we know to be the Christmas story. And, and yet, the Christmas story that many of us have in our minds isn't usually quite right. Because we, we have, in order to make the story flow better, they changed some of the events in what is commonly known as the Christmas story. And they had a lot of things happening um, while Jesus was still an infant that we don't think happened. And so, um, there, there are some things that I want to talk about in... Um, uh, making clear that we understand what the text is really saying. Um, in verse 11, if you, if you go and you look, and you'll see that they're no longer in a manger, manger but they're in a house. And the, the wordage they use there in the Greek is uh, when they describe Jesus, the word is used for a child, which is peidon, not the word for infant, which is brephos. And so Jesus is no longer an infant. This whole event doesn't happen while he's still in the manger. The wise men, the magi, don't show up while Jesus is in the manger. Okay? Uh, didn't happen at that point in time. Makes a better story for Christmas. But it's, there's, a, there's a space. And most likely, Jesus is probably a year or two old by the time they get there. It took them a while to get there uh, uh, in the process. Because he wasn't in the manger. He was in a house. He was still in the same town. But he's not being called an infant anymore, so there, there's some time, and he's not in a manger, he's in a house uh, at the time that the Magi appear. Now, also, we're really not sure about the identity of the Magi. Tradition has given them names, and some of you might even have heard that, and also given them a number. They've said that there was three of them. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says how many Magi showed up. Um, the number three most likely came from the fact that it talks about three gifts that were given, but it could have been 23. Uh, or two, it could have been, you know, could have been any number. But again, we're, tradition has popped up, and over, over time, it's become that this is the way the story goes. And you know the story, and so you just sort of stick with it. And it's, I'm not saying it's a bad story. I'm just saying that it, it doesn't necessarily line up exactly with what we just read in the text. And so there, there are some times, because there's this, there's this big backdrop that's holding on. Now, Magi is a, a title for specialists in, in astronomy. That's what they were all about, which is why they would have been looking at the stars uh, and why they saw the star that they saw in the process. And um, it's very possible that that particular idea is fulfilling a prophecy um, 
that uh, happens in Numbers 24 that Balaam gives in Numbers 24:17. You want to write that verse down and look it up later. If I, it says, "I shall see him, but not now; I shall behold him, but not nigh," there shall come a star out of Jacob. And so uh, it looks like the the Magi had uh, looked in and seen the star and were following. And it's a pretty fascinating deal how the star led them to the place. I mean, it's all miraculous. I'm not. I'm not picking on the Christmas story, I'm just saying. It's, it's miraculous, but it doesn't flow as well because some bad things happen during this period of time, too, that don't make for a nice Christmas story. All right? So, um, uh, that's taking place in the process. Now, here's what's happening is that Herod, who's the king at that point in time uh, of the Jews, uh, is, the, you know, remember, sort of a puppet kind of situation because the Romans are really in charge. But when the Romans went in and occupied a country, they had found out over time that the best thing they could do was leave sort of the leadership in place to act as their representatives, and then they had less trouble with the people. And so uh, they, uh, but sometimes they would install people. Anyway, at this point in time, it's King Herod who is overseeing the Jews under the uh, Roman um, government. And uh, Herod was an evil person. You know, I don't like to pin that on anybody, but he wasn't a nice person. And uh, he, he didn't like the idea of uh, someone being called the king of the Jews because he wanted to retain that place for him and his family line. And I think it's interesting in um, chapters 2 and uh, in verse 2 and verse 4 that Herod ties together um, the king of the Jews in verse 2 with the Christ in verse 4. So he, got, he has a clue what's coming. Now he's, he's already trying to disrupt it. But it's an interesting connection. Herod gets that this one they call the king of the Jews and the Christ is, is, is a pretty significant event connecting there in verses 2 and verse 4. Herod wants to know where the Christ would be born. And he says he wants to go and worship him, but we know that's not what he wants to do. He wants to snuff out his competition. And, uh, and so he's very much aware of the prophecies and he's trying to stop them from taking place. But uh, we know where he's going to be born because it was prophesied in Micah 5.2 where this would all take place. And it says in, in Micah 5.2, But thou, Bethlehem, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me uh, the one that will be ruler of Israel, whose going forth have been told from old, from everlasting. And so the prophet Micah foretold that this event would happen in Bethlehem. And so it was already in the book, and uh, they were looking for the process. And so, so we have uh, prophetically in the book the birth of Christ. You know, one of the things that you find as you read through the text is that there are so many things um, that, were, that were prophetically uttered about Christ and the life of Christ that no person, and I, I don't remember the, the complete math, but the odds of one person fulfilling all of the prophetic utterances that were made about Christ is so astronomical that it could only be Jesus. I mean, you, you could start taking the math that, that one person would fit every single prophetic utterance about Messiah and Jesus fills them all and he can't manipulate these things to happen uh, if he's not really who, he's, who he is. Like, you can't, can't, can't go back and figure out where you're going to be born. Uh, you, you know, you can't make some of these things happen and, and try and pretend to be something that you're not. Uh, he is who he says he is. So now the Magi come, and they present Jesus with gifts of uh, gold, incense, and myrrh. Um, and these, these gifts sort of picture uh, initially 
um, prophetically the wealth of the nations being given to Messiah, which is going to happen eventually. And I think it's a good picture of what happens in the immediate, and it's going to happen uh, also um, when all nations come and, and offer everything to him. Isaiah 60, verse 5, says, Then you will look and be radiant, your heart will throb and swell with joy, the wealth on the seas will be brought to you, to you the riches of the nations will come. Zephaniah 3.10 says, From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. Haggai 2.7 and 8. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. And so, um, we see even in the presentation of the gifts, um, prophecy being fulfilled in, in the wealth of the nations. And then uh, it's very possible that these gifts also represent something even deeper than that, in that they, they sort of reflect on the life that Jesus will have. Um, gold could very easily represent his deity or his purity of life. Uh, incense is, it sort of represents the fragrance of his life, and we see in Scripture about him being a fragrant offering. And uh, myrrh would uh, sort of represent his sacrifice and death because myrrh was used for embalming. And so we have all these things taking place in uh, this part of the process. Now, another thing that happens is, as you read Matthew chapter 2, you see that a lot of stuff happens to Joseph while he's sleeping, because he gets almost all his direction in dreams. And I think that's sort of interesting, but these angels always show up in his dreams and tell him what to do. And in four times in these two chapters, uh, he's been instructed by angels. In Matthew 1.20, 2.13, and 2.22. And each time, he's being given instructions on, on what he needs to do in order to keep the family safe and moving and, and do the things that God wants them to do. And so after the visit of the Magi, Joseph is warned by an angel of the Lord to take Mary and Joseph and flee to Egypt. And the reason behind that, we know, is that, that Herod was going to start searching for the child and, uh, because he wanted to kill him. And so, under cover of darkness, uh, Jesus obeys and his family leaves Bethlehem and they journey to Egypt. Why Egypt? Kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I think that there's a major connection in this process connecting Jesus, who's God's son, to Israel, which is sort of... Uh, God's adopted children. And in both of those situations, there's a flight to Egypt and a return for the sake of a nation. And, and I think there's a, there's a major connection in the process. You remember that uh, in, uh, in, in, in Genesis, there's a time when a famine arises in Israel and Joseph has been sent ahead under with a lot of bad circumstances, but he's over Egypt. And he brings the entire family in to keep them safe. And then they end up in slavery, and then they get out of that. Remember, we read all about that, and we studied about that, out of that bondage and, and into the land. But, but they spent time in Egypt initially for their safety. Uh, they had to go because that's where the food was. That's how they kept the nation alive. Jesus goes in the same way to Egypt for his safety for a season, but then he returns as well for a greater cause. Um, Hosea 11.1 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's the fulfilling of the prophecy uh, that we read about in Matthew 2. And uh, the connection happens uh, to Jesus as the son in Israel, as uh, the children of God. Exodus 4.22 Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. 
Uh, and so there's a connection with Israel as God's firstborn son. And Jesus, we know, is God's son. And both escaped to, escaped to Egypt to uh, escape danger. Now, uh, as soon as Herod finds out that the Magi aren't coming back, he's furious. And his plan to deal with the process is he goes to Bethlehem and has all the two-year-old males killed, um, which is as, as evil a thing as you can possibly imagine. And, and so we read about that in the end, a, f- a terrible fulfillment of prophecy that this evil man portrays or, or puts out on the people of Israel. You can tell he didn't care about the people at all. It was all about him. And, and, uh, and so it's a, you know, it's a terrible tragedy, tragedy in the process. Jeremiah 31:15. this is what the Lord says. A voice is heard as Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. And so we already have a lot of action happening in the very first two chapters of the book of Matthew as Matthew begins to set in place the events um, for the life and ministry of Christ. And um, uh, I, Matthew's very good about pulling stuff out of uh, Jewish history and understanding and bringing it into what's taking place to inform his readers about the connections between Christ and what was prophesied to happen. And uh, as we talked in our last uh, study, um, because we don't always understand Jewish culture and teaching, we sometimes miss the connections that he's putting forth there. But, you know, um, young Jewish children were instructed in the scriptures from the time they were very young, from the time they were about five until the time they were about eight. All the uh, Jewish children, particularly the males, were instructed in the Bible. And they would learn in that season of time the first five books of the Bible, what we, uh, was called the Torah. We know it as the Pentateuch, but it's, it's the first five books that we have in our scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would learn that by heart. Children five to eight would know by the time they were eight those five books of the Bible. And uh, they would memorize them because there wasn't copies of the Bible for everybody. Pretty much, you know, a town would have a copy of the Torah, a copy. And so they would learn it in the schools and they would learn it by heart and could memorize it. And then um, the children that were especially gifted in that, um, they would take on from 8 to 12 another set of studies and um, they would learn another big chunk of the scripture having to do with the prophets. And then the ones that really exceeded out of that, they would go on generally into the ministry. And by the time they were teenagers, they would know the entire Old Testament by heart. Pretty amazing stuff. All 39 books, word by word, by heart. Today, still happens in, in some places that uh, rabbinical students know the entire Old Testament by heart um, because they've been taught it from the time they were little. And they, that's how they learn. And they can recite it. And then they question it and they work through it and they do some things together. It's a very fascinating deal. But understand that the population would know the text and the scriptures that are being referred to here very well. And it would make sense to them, and it would be the way they were used to discussing Scripture. And so uh, not only did they memorize it, they talked about it. And they looked at different point of views and different rabbis' takes on the things. And so this would have been a big part of their lives. So Matthew is just bringing in and introducing this concept to people who already knew the text and the Scripture, and it would be making big sense to them to see the connection. All right, we're going to shut it down there uh, for today. So uh, upstairs, if you uh, shut the recording down, I would appreciate it. Uh, who's ever there will, uh, at the venues will uh, pray for you, and I will pray for you here. If you pass me up the prayer requests, we'll do that right now.